everybody. Last time I preached, I had appendicitis. I don't know if you remember that or not. That was, last time I preached was December 2nd. I had appendicitis, and, and uh, I was standing up here, and we were, we were just talking together about different things, and I'm just glad to be back. I'm just glad to be able to preach again. <laughs> stop, stop, it's okay. <laughs> Anyways, hey, wh- is there a football game today? Nope. Nope, there's not. Just, just wanted to clear that up right now. Hey, what do you think is the number one rule of success? If, if someone were to ask you that, you know, what is the number one rule of success? What would you say? Would you say maybe uh, set and reach your goals? Uh, would you say hard work? Uh, would you say um, don't spend more than you save? What would you say? What, what's the number one rule of success? I had a... Um, read a survey that was taken at a conference, and it was a room, small room, full of some of the wealthiest people in the world. And the, the conference speaker did a survey, and he asked them, he said, how many of you have reached your financial goals? 80% of the hands in the room shot up. They'd all, you know, 80% had reached their financial goals. Then the host asked a second question. He said, how many of you feel successful? 80% of the hands went down. Now, I want to confess something to you as a pastor. Sometimes, more times than I, I would like to count, I feel like those people that put their hands down. Like... Maybe I'm not being very successful, or or maybe I'm failing, or I'm not living up to my potential. And there's one reason that I often feel this way, and it's the really the number one reason, the number one rule of success for people who follow it, and how you handle this rule is very important. I want to share this with you. Now, when I say success. Uh, I don't mean excess. Sometimes people, when they hear the word success, they Im- immediately think of excess. Like, uh, it, I don't just want a two-car garage. I want a four-car garage. And I have a four-car garage, well, then I'm wealthy. Well, excess doesn't necessarily mean success. Are you with me? Just because you have a lot. But everybody I've ever met and talked to definitely wants to have certain things in life. You know, we want to be able to get certain things, and we want to enjoy those things and use those things. So how, how can we get those things? That, that's kind of success in some ways. And by the way, as a pastor, uh, we really want you to be successful. We want everybody to be able to wear apartment nine shirts from Kohl's, if you're with me, all right? Some of you that weren't here for that Sunday, you just have to listen. Listen on, the, uh, on our website. I like to wear apartment nine shirts from Kohl's. Occasionally Young Lion from Kmart. But we want you to have that kind of success too. 
Some of you are like, no, thank you. I think I'll shut down right now and not listen to you, Pastor. We can go home now, right? So what is the number one rule of success? The number one rule of success is rule thyself. It's the number one rule of success. Rule yourself. Horace said, rule your mind or it will rule you. How many of you have found that to be true? Absolutely. What, what am I talking about here? I, I'm talking about self-leadership. And we have been talking for the last few weeks and really, you know, for the beginning of 2019 about hope for growth. We've been talking about growing and what it takes to grow as a person, as a Christian. What I'm learning in my life about growth, I want to share a little bit with you this morning. Now, this idea of leading yourself is based on a simple truth. Uh, I got through four years of high school. I went through five years of college. Yes, I took the get your four-year degree in the five-year plan. And I got two and a half years of postgraduate work. And here's what I've learned. Are you ready? Bullet down to this. Wherever you go, there you are. Are you blown? Is your mind blown right now? <laughs> Dennis is like, just shaking his head. Like, what, what, what did I come here to hear today? Yeah, yeah, keep coming. Okay, all right, I'll keep going. I'll keep going, just because he encouraged me. I'll say it another way. Everywhere you go, you take yourself with you. Um, lately, my kids have been reveling in the snow days. You know, they, they get certain snow days, they get out of school. We build a snowman, we throw snowball fight, we, everybody comes in for hot chocolate and bonbons and... It's like this early vacation, you know what I mean? You know what I wish? I wish I could take a vacation from being myself sometimes. Do you ever feel like that? My wife does. She wishes she could take a vacation without me sometimes. She would just like to leave, leave me behind. And sometimes I would like to leave me behind. Sometimes I, I would like to be able to take the smart part of me that doesn't say stupid things and, and, and take that person out in public and then leave the dumb part of me home. I wish I could do that sometimes. But everywhere I go, I take Jekyll and Hyde. And it's just the darndest thing whenever Hyde wants to show up. How about you? Do you ever feel like that? Absolutely. We all find ourselves in situations where we do that. Well. I'm going to talk to you about the number one rule of success, rule thyself. And here's, here's the idea. The idea is that if, if I had to kick the person most responsible for my problems, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. The, the, the person, and I can tell you this wholeheartedly, the number one person I've had the most trouble with in my life is Brad Kellum. He's... He's the hardest person I have to deal with, no doubt. Why? Well, I'll explain why. You tell me if you think these are true. The number one rule of success is rule thyself. Why? Because the first person that you and I are responsible for is yourself. It's ourself. Um, a guy was having a tough time finding a job. He finally secured an interview, 
And needless to say, he was trying his best to impress. The interviewer said, in this job, we need someone responsible. I'm the one you want, the man replied. At my last job, every time anything went wrong, they said I was responsible. That's not the kind of responsibility I'm talking about here, okay? When I say that the first person you're responsible for is yourself, this is what I mean. And these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Stop there for a moment. That's a question. It's a question. It's kind of a rhetorical question. Jesus was asking the people that were around him that day. He just said, why do you do that? The assumption was they do that. The assumption is we do that. We look at the small bit of sawdust in someone else's eye, and then we're, we're walking around with this huge plank in our own eye. He says... How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I'm learning that during those times when I really intently look for the speck of sawdust in someone else's life, It's because I feel like a speck of sawdust. In other words, people that are always digging up dirt on others do so because they feel like dirt. And the truth is, if I felt better about myself, I'd feel better about others. Maybe I wouldn't be so hard on them. People who constantly do this often do it because... They really hate themselves. This is what I'm learning. So I have to focus and ask God to help me because the first person I'm responsible for is myself. And I have to be honest with you. I'm going I'm to be real with you this morning. Uh, because of the legislation that's happened recently in New York City with, with the abortion uh, passing, with the abortion bill and all those things, I had a hard time this week. Every time I saw on Twitter the picture of Governor Cuomo... I felt some way about that. And I would look at his face, and I had not-so-kind feelings toward him. It was a mixture of anger, bitter, um, murder? No, no, not murder. I say that because I'm in front of you. You see, what happens in our life is, and it's hard, because there are true injustices happening in our world. There are things happening that you and I feel strongly about. And I asked Jesus, I said, Lord, how am I to respond? Because to be quite honest with you, I have my own convictions, I have my own beliefs, but I also see some of the points on the other side. There are difficult situations that women get into. 
And I said, Lord, you know, what do you do? And I remember Jesus leading me to the cross, always leads us to the cross. He said, you need to see everything you're seeing through the cross. When Jesus was on the cross and he looked down at the scribes and the Pharisees that were mocking him and hating him and tweeting about how funny this was that Jesus was dying and posting on Facebook pictures of Jesus being crucified. You know what Jesus said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Wow, you wanna talk about growth? Hey, you know you're growing when you can spiritually get to a place where people who are killing you, you still find compassion in your heart for them. Whoa, I'm not sure I'm there yet. How about you? So now I have to rethink things when I look at Twitter and I see the face of someone who passes legislation that I happen to disagree with. What am I to do as a believer of Jesus? Well, what I find is uh, Darren Kaiser, who didn't Darren do a great job on Voice of Truth? I love Darren, hear him sing. Darren and I were talking and, and he was sharing with me this thought and, and something he had seen. He said, you know, a lot of people say, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. And Darren was sharing with me the thought, love the sinner, hate my own sin. I like that thought. Because it goes back to what Jesus is saying here. He's saying before, before you try to see the, through the plank in your eye into the sawdust and speck in another person's eye, you need to take evaluation. Why? Because you're the first person you're responsible for. You're not responsible for another person's sin. Are you your brother's keeper? Yes, but not before you're your own keeper. We have to lead ourselves first. Secondly, and this is what Epictetus said, God has entrusted me with myself. Secondly, the only person you can control is yourself. How many of you know that's true? If you don't believe me, go buy yourself a puppy. Or better yet, a teenager. I've got two of them, and I'll sell you one. Actually, I've told you before, we've got two teenagers, but we're thinking about going back to one. <clears throat> it's just the way life is with a teenager. But the, the only person you can really control is yourself. You can't control other people. That's an illusion. Jesus says, how can you say to your brother... Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Do you see? Actually, some scholars believe <clears throat> this is Jesus at his funniest. We often miss the humor in this passage. Jesus was fun to hang out with. Jesus, let me tell you why I know that. Because little kids don't run up to grumps. They don't. If they think you're grumpy or not their friend, they will stay five miles from you. But when they saw Jesus, they wanted to be with him. Why? Because he's fun. He has joy. He laughs. 
He does see the humor in things. And he was saying to them, look, he's saying, you, you, you got to imagine this picture of this guy who's walking around with this huge plank in his eye. Some of us these days would call that physical comedy. The Three Stooges. You know, a big plank hitting everything. And then at the same time, while you've got this plank, you're trying to look for, in a, for the microscopic speck in somebody else's eye. Obviously, that can't be done. And Jesus is kind of joking a little bit as if to say, hey, why are you trying to do that? I mean, it's almost humorous, he might say. But we do it. We do it. Jesus says, how come you're so busy trying to control other people's, but you are out of control? How can you do that? It's difficult. It's difficult. I may have shared this story with you before. I'm not sure but I wanted to share it with you again because I think it applies this morning. A man was traveling on the New York subway. It was a quiet Sunday morning. Everyone was listening to music or reading the paper quietly when the train halted to a sudden stop. On came a man and three small boys. The man appeared disheveled and a bit dazed as he took his seat and stared out the window. As the train sped off, the young boys became increasingly rowdy. They began jumping around, bumping into passengers, making loud noises, and just generally causing a small ruckus. Stephen Covey, who writes this, was riding and watching this man and his boys. As the boys became more wild with each passing minute, Stephen Covey's patience ran thin. <clears throat> Finally, when Covey felt he just couldn't take it any longer, he got up from his seat walked over to the man and said, Sir, don't you think you should do something about your boys? They're bothering all the other passengers. Can't you control them? With a weak, confused look in his eyes, the dad looked back at Covey and said, Oh, you're right. I probably should. I, it's just that I don't know what to say. Their mother died this morning. We've just left the hospital, and I'm at a loss as to what to tell them. Stephen Covey writes about that story, and he says that when he heard what the man was really going through, everything in his mind and heart changed. You, you can't control other people. You can only control yourself. Why look at the small speck in someone else's eye when there's a big plank in yours? We do it all the time, though. Why? The hardest person to get along with is yourself. You know, some of us can be pretty hard to get along with. Did you know that? Some of us are not very much fun to live with. Did you know that? Some of you said, yes, Brad, haven't you met my husband? Yes, Brad, haven't you met my wife? See, a plank in your eye is like a pebble in your shoe. How many of you have ever had a pebble in your shoe? How many love that? Okay, obviously I'm being sarcastic. Some of you raised your hands. I love that. I love it when a pebble's in my shoe. No, when a pebble's in your shoe, it's irritating. You know, what it causes you to do is stop, take the shoe off, dump the pebble out, and then, then you can start going again. Well, that's what a plank in your eye is like. It's irritating. Ever, ever gotten something in your eye and it really bothers you? 
I wear contacts and sometimes they, they get ripped or torn and it bothers my eye. Jesus said, it's very difficult when you're dealing with your own self, <laughs> your own irritating self, your own hard to get along with self. He said, you gotta deal with that first before you can deal with how hard it is to get along with someone else. I mean, really, so, some people are so antisocial and hard to get along with, you wonder uh, why they even expose other people to themselves. Why do it in the first place if you're really going to be that mean or, 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 or unkind or just hard to get along with? But, you know, that's what we do. Sometimes we're hard to get along with. I have a, a little acrostic that, that I think describes what some people feel about themselves, and, and it's, it's the acrostic just says, see every little flaw. I don't know if you have that or not up there. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> That's good, today's going well. Hey, there we go. Some people, this is how they feel about themselves. When they look at themselves, they see every little flaw. Do you do that? Some people do. That's just how they view themselves. Now, I'm dealing with um, teenage kids now in, in my house, and you know, <clears throat> when you hit puberty and you go through all the hormonal changes, and you start to really have a challenge with how you see yourself. Do you like the person in the mirror? God, why did you make me this way? You ever said that? God, why did you make me this way? Or why did you do this in my life? And it's important. It's difficult because I think we really have a hard time seeing ourselves the way God sees us. So often we just see every little flaw when we look at ourselves. But that's not what God sees. God sees the cross. When he looks at you, he sees you through the eyes of his son, Jesus. He sees not your past, but your future. Not your sins, not just your sins, but also the forgiveness that he has bestowed on you, the blood of Christ on your life. That's how he sees you. Not only as a sinner, but also as a saint. Did you know that? It's how God views you. You're a saint. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a saint. He said it. I guess I am. I'm a saint. If you've given your life to Christ. Now, if you have not given your life to Christ, boy, you're still this, this sinner. And you need the Lord. The toughest person to change is yourself. Did you know that? Toughest person that changes yourself. He says, you hypocrite first, take the plank out of your own eye. Why don't we do that first? Because it's hard. That's why we don't do it. Why do we look at other people and judge them first? Why do we avoid doing what Jesus says to do in this passage? Why? Because it's hard. You know, that's one major reason people steer away from therapy 
Christian counseling and things like that because when they get into Christian counseling and they get into therapy, they realize, oh, I might actually have to work on myself to change. If I really want this marriage to improve, I might have to do some things differently. And guess what? That's hard. It's not easy. I mean, the toughest person you'll ever fight to change is yourself. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not your boss. It's not your employees. It's you. You see, Andrew Bryant says, when a surgeon makes an incision, he or she cuts into the body. When we make a decision, we cut through the choice of yes or no. We make the decision to take the plank out of our eye. Jesus says, do that first, then you'll be able to see to help your brother or your sister. I like in the crypts of Westminster Abbey, the following words were written on the tomb of an Anglican bishop who lived in the 11th century. Listen to these words. It writes, when I was young and free, my imagination had no limits. I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered that the world would not change. So I shortened my sight somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew in my twilight years, in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me. But alas, they would have none of it. And now, as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realized if I had only changed myself first, then by example, I would have changed my family. From their inspiration and encouragement, I, I would then have been able to better my country. And who knows? I may have even changed my world. Whenever you're on an airplane and you're flying to a destination, do you know what the stewardess will tell you. They give you the pre-flight instructions. And they always tell you, they say, you know, right above you there's that thing that'll come, come down and it's the breathing mask. And they always tell you if you're flying with children, make sure that you take the mask and, and the parent needs to breathe first. Then you give it to your child. Why? Why? Because if, if you pass out, you're not going to be any help to your child. You've got to take care of yourself first before you can take care of the people around you. And that's what life is like. Taking care of yourself, working on yourself is not selfish. If you're doing it so that you can be better for others. Working on yourself is not about being better than others. For a lot of people, that's what it's about. It's about competition. If I can just be the best, if, if I can get better at this, I'll be better than everybody else around me. It's not about that. It's not about being better than others, but it is, it is, it is about being better for others. Are you with me? I'm not trying to be better than my wife. I'm not in competition with her, but I do want to be better for her. If I become a better man, guess what? I'll be a better husband. If I become a better husband, guess what? I'll become a better father. If I'm a better father, guess what? I'll I become a better citizen. I'll become an influencer and, and I can help change the world if I'll just change myself first. We cannot fix the world until we fix ourselves. 
Some of you say, Brad, I don't really think this message applies to me because, well, I think I got my life together. And to be honest with you, the urge to murder hasn't hit me lately. And I would tend to agree with you because I don't think we have more than 10 or 15 professional hitmen in our congregation at the most. And some of you think, well, you know, I don't really need this because, you know, these are not things I struggle with. But you know what the truth is? What I'm finding is the easiest person to deceive is myself. Easiest person to deceive is me. I can trick myself all the time. I can lie to myself with the best of them. Do you ever do that? Do you ever lie to yourself? Ever live in denial? The reality is the final person I answer to is not myself. It's God. Because all of us are going to have to answer to the one with whom we have to give account. And that's coming. Why not do the hard work now? Why not ask the Lord, Lord, I, I want you to use me. I want you to bless my life. I, I want to be the person you want me to be. You can pray that prayer. And you can have hope for growth. And not only hope for growth, you can actually see results. Would you pray with me for a moment? Maybe bow your head and close your eyes just 